Acts chapter 12. Chapter 11 ended. We have Peter the Apostle. Peter who, whom Jesus had to kind of rebuke a few times and encourage, and yet he's the guy that God chose to unlock various uh, gates, so-called, to the kingdom, the kingdom of the Jews. He, pre- he re- preached there on Pentecost, and thousands got saved and was faithful in that. And they went to the Samaria after Philip was evangelizing there and prayed for them. They received the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 10, he had this dream there was a guy named Cornelius who was a Gentile centurion. And Jews don't talk to Gentiles, but God said, it's time to talk to the Gentiles, Peter. And so he went over there, met with Cornelius, preached the gospel to him, and he and his whole household were filled with the Holy Spirit, born-again believers by the grace of God. That is awesome. And then we see that the church now in Antioch, the, the gospel is moving out from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth, going all over the place. Remember back in chapter 8 when Stephen died and there was a persecution by Saul, by Paul, to the church? That group of Hellenistic believers who were Jews, but they had an a, uh, Israeli background, they had a Hebrew background, they spoke Hebrew, but they also spoke Greek. Um, they were persecuted there in Jerusalem. They started going all over the place. They mostly preached the gospel of the Jews as they went, but what happened is that some of them, disobedient guys, I tell you, to culture, and they just started preaching the gospel to whoever they ran into, Gentiles of all people. And what happened here at the end of chapter 11 is that people in Antioch started receiving the Lord. And Antioch, if you remember, was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time behind Alexandria and, of course, Rome. And it was like Las Vegas. It was bad, and we talked about that last time. There were things going on that were ungodly and horrible, and so much that people would as- associate um, people who lived in that manner as, with that city. And I joked about being a Californian last week. It implies certain things, even though we're good. <clears throat> it's more like a Raider fan. That's kind of what I wanted to point out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But it was from that city, Antioch, there in southern Turkey, that that was the hub. That is where the gospel took root. These people are coming to the Lord in droves in this godless city, so to speak. And that is where all the missionary journeys started happening that we'll read about in the rest of Acts, from that hub. And when when the church in Jerusalem, the council in Jerusalem, they found out what God was doing there, They needed to send someone to encourage them. And so they sent Barnabas. Remember Barnabas. And they sent him down there to encourage. And so it says in chapter 11 that they were preaching to these people first. And then, uh, actually they were telling them of the Lord and all that stuff in verse 19. And then later on, it says that they taught them. I'm sorry, then Barnabas encouraged them. And then he sees a need for teaching. And so new believers, they need to be, well, first of all, they need to receive the gospel. How does that happen? People preach to them. They share the good news of Jesus. They come to the Lord, and what happens? They need to be encouraged. And so what did, how did uh, Barnabas encourage them? It's, he saw the grace of God, and he was there, and he glad and encouraged them all to remain true in the Lord with all their hearts. So encouragement has that double-edged sword. It's encouraging people, but exhorting them and warning them at the same time. 
you know, oh, come on, let's go. Let's move towards this way because if you don't, this is what's going to happen. And you can imagine people coming out of that culture. The temptation was still all around them. And for them to just go back to their old ways when things got difficult. And if any of you have come to Christ, guess what? Things get difficult. Anyone? Yeah, the enemy starts attacking pools. People that you never thought would ever call you start calling you. And all of a sudden, all the evils are available to you 24 hours, seven days a week that you never realized were there before, right? And, then, and so Barnabas comes down and he starts encouraging them. So they were preached the gospel, they were encouraged. And then he realized that this church needed to be taught. They needed not just to be encouraged, but they needed to figure out how do you actually do this in real life? How do we walk with Jesus every single day? How does this happen? And so his mind clicks to Saul. Saul's been on the sidelines for 10 years. He spent three years in Arabia and and the rest there, it seems, in Tarsus. And now what happens, it says there at the end of uh, chapter 11, uh, almost to the end of chapter 11, it says, Barnabas, he went out and he found him and he brought him back, you know. He, went, he, he actually went out and got him and brought him back, you know. And, and he, he, he and Barnabas spent a year, I'm sorry, Saul and Barnabas spent a year, Saul being Paul of the New Testament, same guy, went and taught them for a year, hanging out with them, doing life, meeting, Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings. Believe it or not, they met on Tuesdays. Could you believe that? It's implied there. Whenever people were available, they got together and they started teaching. Some people had to work and we understand that, but they got together and Paul said, okay, well, I'll meet with you then. And they taught the word of God to them over and over and over for a year. What a strong foundation. And so... Then, as they were being taught, it's not just enough to hear the gospel and to be encouraged to walk with the Lord and to be taught on how to live. You actually have to do it. And so a prophet came down, and there was an opportunity to actually exercise their faith, to do something about it. And a prophet named Agabus, what did he say? There's going to be a great famine in the land, and there was. Historically, you can read about it outside of history, and you can also read it, read it right here in Scripture. It happened during one of the Roman emperors here shortly. And it was at that time that the disciples decided, each in their own hearts, that they would help this church in Jerusalem that was struggling greatly because of the situation. It wasn't a forced situation. It was an opportunity to respond to the love of God. And I love that about the Lord. That's why God says he loves hilarious givers. And so when you see someone hurting, he loves it when you decide in your heart, according to whatever he's given you, to give out of that goodness to help someone else. Isn't that great? I love that about the Lord. He is, he is a giving God. For God so loved the world, he saw our need, he, what? he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him, whoever would not perish and have eternal life. And so that is love working out. First John, we read about that. That if you see a brother or sister in need, and you do not meet that need, and you just walk away, hey, be filled, brother. That, there's no love in you, according to your need, of course. You can't meet the whole thing all the times, but what can you do with what God's given you? And that is a practical output of what God has called us to be as Christians. Quite often, and I struggle with this, sometimes we're a lot of talk and we're not a lot of actually doing. And what does it say here in, in, uh, in the, the end of chapter 11? It says that that's where in Antioch they were first called Christians. It was a mocking term. You guys are just like Jesus. Well, you guys are just like Antioch, you know? 
these people of Antioch were looking at these Christians going, man, you're just like Jesus. You walk around, and they didn't like it, obviously, and the name kind of stuck, and it sticks with us to this day. And we also know that a Christian, the name Christian, can mean a lot of, have some bad things like hypocrisy and things associated with this today, right? Lord, let it not be so. When they say, hey, you go to Christ Community Fellowship, let that be something that is representing Jesus Christ, that you love the Lord and you love one another. Not perfect, right? Anyways, in chapter 12, it says it was about this time when all this stuff was happening that King Herod arrested some, some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. King Herod. There are so many darn Herods in the Bible. I mean, which one is it? This is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great built all the cool stuff around there, but he's also the one who killed all the babies in Bethlehem in, in, in the beginning of Matthew's gospel, right? That was Herod the Great. This is his grandson they're speaking of. You got some other guys in between, the guy who beheaded John the Baptist um, and some other people. So just realize Herod was a title. It was a dynastic name. It was a dynasty. And these guys were not Jews. They were Edomites. They were from the line of Esau. So you see this thing that's constantly butting against uh, the Jews all along. That's a side point. But he decided he intended to persecute them. Why in the world would Herod want to persecute the church? Hmm. Anyways, we'll get there. But verse 2 says, He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That means he was beheaded. James, the brother of John. Remember the sons of thunder? The sons of thunder. These guys were fishermen. The sons of Zebedee. They were called out by Jesus to follow him. They followed him. And they were one of the major three people who were in Jesus' inner circle, so to speak. There was these two brothers, James, John, and there was Peter. And remember, all the time, Jesus would be pulling these three aside and taking them along with him, whatever he was going, whatever he was doing. If he was doing secret op missions, they would go with him. You know, all that type of stuff. If he was going to go raise the dead in a room, he brought them with him. If he's going to go pray... Remember, Mount of Transfiguration, he was there. Remember Gethsemane? He had the disciples hang out, and there he is, totally praying. Remember, but they brought, he brought Peter, James, and John with him a little closer and said, stay here and watch and pray. And what did they do? They fell asleep three times. I can totally relate. And so these guys had it. And, and if you remember in Matthew 20, 20, uh, this is an awesome situation. Any of you have really loving moms? Uh, here they are. They're all hanging out together, the disciples with Jesus. And James and John are there. And James and John's mom come up to Jesus and they're all, I have something to ask you in front of everybody. Will you let my sons sit at your right hand? You know, one on your right, one on your left when you got the kingdom. I mean, you can just imagine the Jewish mother thing. It's just awesome. And, he, and Jesus is like, you, you don't know what you're asking can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And James and John were the answer. Yeah, we can. And Jesus says, you will. Now, I'm not sure how that all plays out, but I know that James here, he drank the cup. He followed Jesus to the grave. Herod took him and he killed him. It was his time. God allowed it. And it's interesting that John 
his brother, he was the last apostle to die. And James was the first. Pretty interesting there how you have these two parallels there, these two opposites, these contrasting, contrasting each other here. But he's put to death with the sword. And this is the thing about Herod. He says, when, when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to grab Peter also. Herod was motivated by politics. He was a political man. And he, everything he did was a calculation about how he would retain power and how more power could come to him by pleasing the people that were in certain political bases or, or different, let's just say, call them um, people groups. Um, we have an election coming up. And it's funny how politicians of all stripes will not ask God what is right and what is good, but they will poll people and see what they want and based upon their desires will do whatever it takes to manipulate, do whatever they want in order to get the vote. Things that are absolutely insane, which I don't want to go to to this morning. Both sides, all three sides, all of them. But humanity is prone to do these types of things. We actually all are, aren't we? Instead of asking what the Lord would want and say, God, what pleases you? We often poll people and say, what pleases you? And what we're going to see here in this chapter is Herod thinks he's in charge. But who's really in charge? Who's really sovereign? And that's what this is about, about the gospel going forward. Herod thinks he can stop it because of his political. We, what have we had before? We've had religious persecution. We've had persecution within the church. We've had uh, Paul, who was zealously against uh, the church for religious reasons. We've had people in the church messing up, stopping the gospel. So, so there's all these different ways that the enemy is trying to stop the gospel from going forward through the church. And guess what? We're running into a time in our nation when I believe politically we can be facing some serious problems ahead. I just sent an article out to the elders. It was funny that uh, we have a, a mayor in Houston who was just elected, Houston, Texas, and all of a sudden the city council demanded all the patters, pastors turn in their sermons to them or face uh, fines because they spoke against that she was homosexual. And so therefore, there was this, but listen, we're moving to the place in a time in our country where we are going to move, and that's going to be accepted because those values are going to outweigh the values of the past, a Christ-centered culture. And we're moving that way. So how are we going to live in it? What are we going to do? And I wanted to respond and say, here's, all my, here's a link to all my messages, have fun. You know? But this is, this is the, the politically motivated things. And I'm telling you, it's not just one side or the other. It happens with all people. And Herod was just that type of guy. And notice, when he saw that it pleased a group, what did he do? Did it stop there? No, it actually motivated him to go on to further evil. Further evil within the culture. And so he decided, hey, we killed James. That made the people that I'm ruling over happy. So let's go to the next guy. Let's grab Peter. And so they, he grabs Peter also. And this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
What happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread 10 years earlier? 11 years earlier. Jesus died. It was put on trial. James died on his anniversary. Pretty interesting here. But after he arrested him, he put him in prison, Peter in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. Math people, what is that? This plane. 16, right? And they would, they would rotate in three hours, four, 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 four. And as you will see, what will happen is two guards were chained to Peter at all times. So he'd have one chain on one hand, one chain on the other, one guy on either side. That's a great situation to witness to people in, by the way. This is Peter's third arrest. He's got a record. I mean, he couldn't work in our children's ministry, probably. But third, third arrest, chained to these guys, it's going to be great. Let's see what happens. But after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. If you remember, he had a jailbreak earlier with an angel in chapter 5. But Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the, after the Passover at a politically opportune time. Didn't want to mess up the people you're trying to please, right? And so verse 5, Peter was kept in prison. But when you see that word in Scripture, or however, that is a very important, you need to stop and comprehend and think why that word is there. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. He was in prison, but guess what? The church was praying. The church was praying. When bummer things happen to us as a, as a congregation, do we pout or do we pray? Do we pout or do we pray? Do we worry or do we take it, our worry to the Lord in prayer? Do we cast our cares upon him? This is something we need to be trained in. This is something I need to be trained in. I instantly want to start complaining or I instantly want to start to fix it or I instantly want to start, well, how can we, by our power, start to go, let's go start a revolt instead of just saying, God, you are the sovereign God. You are in all authority. We come to you. We seek you. We call out to you. The church was earnestly praying and we're going to find out how earnest that prayer was in just a minute. But the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was what? Sleeping between two soldiers. Peter likes to sleep before trials. Just an observation. He was bound with two chains, and sentries stood at, at the entrance. And suddenly, notice how angels appear. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. <laughs> Peter liked to sleep, man. No one's going to wake him up. Even when he's about to die, he smacks him. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Angels have amazing abilities. They can appear quickly. They can smack you and wake you up, just to let you know, take note. And they can also remove chains. That's in their job description. Verse 8, Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and your sandals. Get dressed, Peter. And so Peter did. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Those words, follow me, are pretty cool. And then the angel told him, and that's what the angel told him, verse 9, and Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, was really happening. Why? Because he thought he was seeing a vision. It was just happening in such a weird way. It was something supernatural, interacting with this angel. It did not seem like reality. 
Verse 10, And they passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them by itself, and they went through it. You know, angels, this is kind of interesting. I mean, I don't want to get into a whole teaching on angels, but they can be among us, and, and we cannot know it. Here they are walking past guards and doing things and opening gates and, and stuff, and, and they're not able to comprehend it, as we'll see. These guards are unaware. They don't realize what's happening. Read back in Sodom and Gomorrah the story. He, they can blind people. They, they're just amazing supernatural beings, and they are messengers of God, and that is their main purpose. That, that's what their, main, their name means. They're messengers. They're sent to do His will. And they intervene in, in, in times and places in Scripture that are very important. And believe it or not, angels have intervened in this, the life of this church often. And I believe they are present this morning as the Word of God is taught. We cannot see them, but Hebrews says that they're here. And they're marveling at probably why God would choose us, and especially this guy. And they're marveling at the gospel. They're marveling at the grace given to us. And they're onlookers. We can entertain them un, uh, unknowingly. And so it says, be hospitable. Be hospitable to people. Because you can entertain an angel and not know it. And so there's this whole mystical side of our faith that we kind of, yeah, as Western intellectuals, we go, uh, no, I don't see it, therefore it does not exist. And there's actually a whole new reality all around us that the Bible teaches is true. Angels are a big part of that. And we're going to read a little bit about, more about that in just, just a minute. But Peter's sleeping. He gets struck on the side. Get up. Put your clothes on. Let's go. He had no idea what was happening. And they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city and it opened for them by themselves. You know, automatic wireless gate. And they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, what happened? Suddenly, the angel left them. Suddenly appeared and suddenly he went. That's how they roll. That's what they do. They're fast. In verse 11, Then Peter came to himself, and he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. Man had plans. God intervenes. Why did God intervene in this situation? He rescued him because it was God's will. It was God's sovereign will. And we're going to find out one of the instruments he uses in accomplishing his will. We saw it earlier. What happened? The church was earnestly praying. When we pray, God, something happens in the spiritual realm. Things happen. I can't explain it. I've never seen an angel that I know of. But I know that things are happening when I pray. When we pray, God hears and he answers And it says, verse 12, when, he had, when it had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. This is the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He would hang out with Peter for quite a while and he would pen his thing. But he's called John Mark. If you remember in Mark's Gospel, Mark tells the story of a guy who was when, at the, at the, at, in Gethsemane. Remember when they're all hanging out there and the, and the guards come to take away Jesus? There's one of them, they, one of the followers of Jesus that was grabbed, and he runs away naked. That's Mark. That's John Mark. And in the house, the upper room that they all had food in, that's, that's Mark's mom's house. And so this guy is, is going to be prominent here in a little bit. That's why he's mentioned. But he went to his house where many people had gathered and were praying. 
They were praying. It's a praying church. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's joy, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. And their answer was, praise God. You're out of your mind. Not the exact answer I'd want from a church that is earnestly praying. <clears throat> oh God, please save Peter. And James has just died. Our hearts are broken. Please, God, save Peter. Hey, Peter's at the door. You're crazy. Lord, will you save Peter? And she was insistent. I mean, I love this church. How much faith did this church have as they were praying? How much comfort do I grab and get from the goodness of God and what he takes with a grain, faith of a you know, little mustard seed? And we say, to that mountain, that Herod, with the chains, with the impossible situation, with the impending execution, with all the political forces at play, be removed. And what does God do? He sends an angel and he releases him. Why was that angel sent? I believe the church was praying. Why was the church praying? Because God desired that his church would pray to him and ask so they could be part of the blessing, part of his sovereign will, part of his glory. And when the church fails to pray, I think sometimes God holds back. You know? It's not much that we're doing. Believe me, we're just asking. He's the one really pulling it, but we, we just ask. And so I want to encourage this church to continue in prayer. You pray for one another, but when hard times come, pray. Seek the Lord. Realize that spiritual things are going on. Remember in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel has had some visions and dreams and all that stuff. And He's praying, and it's for a period of, I don't know how many days, 21 days, he's been fasting and praying, and God has not answered them. And all of a sudden, an angel appears before him, and what does he say? He says, hey, Daniel. And Daniel falls down, of course, as people do when they see angels in all their glory. He says, Daniel, hey, get up. You're loved of God. God loves you. He says, the moment that you spoke, the moment you began to pray, your words were heard. And the reason why you spoke is why I am here, to give you a message. He says, however, the reason why I delayed is because the prince of Persia and the kings around that area were keeping me from coming. And it took Michael the archangel, and really quickly as you're listening to this, you're realizing these are not, they're not talking about kings of the earth. These are principalities that Paul talks about ranks of angels, some stronger than others. The prince of Persia hanging out there in this area. Prayer was supposed to happen. He prays and angels dispatch, but he can't get to them. And so Michael, the archangel mentioned three times in the Old Testament, who comes and just cleans house, and then he's free to come after 21 days. And so just because you're praying and you don't get an answer, does not mean God has not heard you. Instantly, because of Jesus Christ, our prayers are before the Father. Instantly, our prayers are before the Father. But there's this other side, this warfare side, because that is the world we live in until Jesus comes back and sets all things straight. There's warfare. There's an enemy who would seek to discourage you. And God would have us persevere in faith. 
to trust them, even though when the answer does not come, even when you've got a situation where there's jail time and two guards and a bad guy who's going to kill you. Anyone need to hear that this morning? I need to hear that. Persevere in prayer. Persevere in prayer. Keep praying. Keep asking, right? And so he's out there. He knocks on the door. They say, you're out of your mind. Verse 15, when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. They went to the next logical conclusion. It must be his angel. And this, some people think this leads to guardian angels. I don't know. But that's what they were thinking. But Peter kept knocking. He had to put Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 8 into practice. You know, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Literally, he had to do that. That's a bad knock-knock joke, I know. My sister had a rad knock-knock joke. We were, on, uh, we were traveling to Riverside. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, we were doing knock-knock jokes. It was, it was an all-star thing, a baseball thing. And so we were like an hour and 15-minute drive, and all these older guys were like, knock-knock, who's there? Orange, orange you. Knock-knock, who's there? Orange you. Orange you, glad I didn't say banana, or whatever it was, banana. I can't remember the joke. And so we decided to get my sister, who's five years younger, me on it, and we're like, hey, you know, you know Rachel, we're like, hey, knock-knock. She's like, come in. <laughs> just like, um, we're just like, that is the ultimate knock-knock killer. So that is, if anybody's edified this morning, you're all edified from that. How to kill a knock-knock joke right away. Come in. I love that. Anyway, so Peter keeps knocking. Verse 16, and they opened the door and they saw him. They were what? Astonished. They were astonished. When God answers prayers, are we not astonished? Aren't we blown away? I shared this this past Wednesday. I know I've shared it with you before, Susie. Uh, you know, um, I woke up, you know, uh, one of these mornings, I don't know, it was probably a year ago now. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was early, 5.30, and my friend, my tattoo artist friend in Portland, was, it was on my heart. And so I, I just texted or Facebook messaged him right away. I said, man... God put you on my heart. I'm praying for you. You know, he's totally lost. Like, that's like saying, hey, you know, something weird. Stock market's doing great today to a five-year-old. You know, it's like does not connect. It's really weird. And so I get to church this, that Sunday, and Susie walks up to me, and she says, hey, uh, you know, you haven't mentioned your friend from Portland in a while, and, and God put him on my heart, and I was praying for him. I said, when? And I couldn't remember when I was talking to him, so I was looking at the timestamp on my Facebook thing. She's all, oh, it was Tuesday. And I'm like, when Tuesday? She's like, early in the morning. She's like, 5, 5.30. And I looked at my thing at 5.28. God, at the same time, was connecting with Susie and connecting with me to let me know that God heard my prayers, that he cares. For, and it was him who woke me up in the first place. It was God who put that church in that room praying. It was God who was going to work a miracle. God is going to save my friend. God hears us, brothers and sisters. He hears us, and he just wants us to go to him in prayer so that we will enjoy the goodness when he answers. And we stand there astonished. No way you did it. I can't believe you saved him. You know, they did that with Paul. I can't believe you'd save Paul. And one of these days, we're just going to be looking at each other going, isn't that so good? Isn't he so faithful? But they were astonished. In verse 17, Peter motioned with his hands for them to be quiet. 
and described how the Lord had brought him out of the, uh, of, the, of the prison. Tell James. This isn't the James who's executed. This is James, uh, they believe, the, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote James, the book of James. And the brothers about this, he said to them, and then left for another place. Verse 18, in the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter <clears throat> after Herod had thought... Uh, had a uh, sorry had a thorough search he made for him and did not find him he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed i always feel bad for the guards but you know that happened in jesus's thing when they failed to do that that was standard protocol you received whatever that that prisoner was due if you failed to do your duty he was headed for execution they were all executed james was beheaded. And, and if you remember that, I don't know if you know this or not, but Clemens, an early Christian historian, he, he recounts uh, what had happened when James was being executed. One of the guards who was guarding James saw when he gave his testimony how he was just impacted by the Gospels. James was on trial and giving his account. He was so moved, he said, I can't do this. And he says, I too am a Christian. And he, and he asked James, will, will you forgive me? And James waited for a second. You know, he knows he's, gonna, he's about to get his head cut off. And he turns to him and he gives him, gives him a kiss and says, yeah. And those two guys went and had, were both executed for being Christians. I wonder if one of those guards, that guy would have been one of these guards. You know? Even in one of these difficult situations, how God can work with the power and the sides we choose and the things they do. And they were getting ready to execute Peter and they were executed. How God turns the tables on things. And then Herod went out from Judea to Caesarea on the coast there, right? And stayed there for a while. And he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Those are the people in the north which, uh, you know, it's, uh, I forgot right now. But they, they now joined together and sought an audience with him. They, they didn't want to have any trouble. Having secured support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. And it says, On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, this is the voice of a God and not a man. The historian uh, Josephus, a lot of history here, but the historian Josephus, what happened is it, it recalls that his garment was made of all silver. And it was really early in the morning when he got up and there's the ocean right there in this open amphitheater and the sun shone off and it was so bright and so radiant, so glorious the people there were just like going, oh my gosh, you know, this guy, he is, you're a God, not a man. And that's what they're crying. And what does he do? Yeah, I am. You know, when kings start to get into that mode, God has some words to say and things happen. Then this is a voice of God, not of a man. Verse 23, and immediately... Because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. 
So he fell over, and five days later, history tells us he died. He had an intestinal worm thing, probably. He died. So instantly, and he's regretting it, and he's weeping the whole time. He's like, I'm going to die here because I took on this stuff. He knew what had happened. It was too late. And so he was struck down immediately in front of all those people, fell over in pain, was carried away, and writhed in pain for five days and died. But what did I tell you when you see that word? What happened? The word of God continued to increase and spread. What happened to the king? He died. What happened to the word of God? It continues. What is the pattern in Acts? What is the pattern we keep talking about? Yeah, what stops the gospel from going forward? The enemy is trying to persecute us. He's trying to put political pressure on us. He's trying to put every single kind of pressure upon the church that you can imagine to be quiet, to stop sharing the word at work, anywhere. Because, oh, well, yeah, that seems reasonable. We are to be a people who are led by the Spirit. And when the Spirit says speak, we speak. I know that feels uncomfortable. I know that I'm a pastor sitting on a chair in Sunday morning where it's kosher to do that, right? I've been on the other side of it, and I know the difficulties of it, and I know how awkward it can be. But we're to be faithful and realize the methods that the enemy uses to silence the church. And the question is, how's that going for us? How's that going for us? How's the gospel going forward in our lives? Are one of these areas hitting us as a congregation? Are are more than one of these areas hitting us as a congregation? How about individually? Are we caught up in hypocrisy like some people in the church were? Are we, you know, am I, you know, doing something in my life that would hinder the, the glory of the Lord to shine through me? Where are my hearts? Where are my affections, right? But what about the outside? Are there are there perceived political things that are pushing me to be quiet and, and, and to cower in fear? Is the fear of being disliked? Is the fear of losing someone? And all these things are valid. I don't... The, 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 the people in here, I think they had it way harder than us in some ways in, in that there were people ready to kill them. They were disowned by their families. And when they were disowned by your family in that culture, you didn't have a safety net to fall back on. You were disowned. And so we see God's plan for the church over and over and over again. It's for you to shine. He preached to us the gospel. He saved us. He's encouraged us. He's taught us. He is teaching us. And that's to also, now that needs to turn into love, love for one another and a heartbeat for the world, not a love of the world, a love for the world. So this is the pattern over and over and over again. And there's different scenarios and how God keeps weaving the preeminence of the gospel, the preeminence of the good news, the only thing that will matter when your heart stops beating, when your neighbor's heart stops beating, is do they know Jesus and not know about him, but have put their faith in him. And you are the messenger. You are the light. You are the Peters. You are the James. You are the Johns. You are all them. That's who you are in this city. 
And I couldn't be more happy to be among you and be a part of that mission. You know, I feel like a kid, you know, and I am a kid to some of you, I know that, but I mean, I feel like a real little kid. <coughs> Just excited. And my, my heart, my mission, I believe, as a pastor of the church is to encourage you and to equip you, as the scriptures say, for the work of the ministry. You are the plan. Doesn't mean I don't get to be a part of it, but you. God's called you. Oh, but I'm weak. Yeah, and it's so cool that you're weak because he's really strong. But I, when I pray, it's not really that earnest. And look what God does when you just even ask. How cool. So I encourage you to go to the Lord. I encourage you to open your mouth when the Lord uh, is prompting you to. And you'll have that wrestle. You'll know. I encourage you to love deeply and to give to one another when you need it. Give your time. Give you know, your hospitality. Give money. Give things that God has blessed you with to bless one another, to show the Lord how that works. You know, as the Spirit leads in all this, no formula, no, this is what you have to do, but as God prompts, as you're letting him move and through you, amen? That's an awesome church. Now, the last thing, and we're done. We're going to end a little early here. I know it seems like we're in overtime, but we're not. Verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, <coughs> also called Mark. If you remember, what had happened is there was hurting going on in Jerusalem. And so what happened Paul and Barnabas took the offerings of those people, traveled all the way up to Jerusalem, gave them some financial support to help them, gave it to the elders, and the elders of the church dispersed it where, where God was leading in the church. They were to manage that situation. Similar to what we have happen here. We have, you know, uh, if you ever want to give money to the Benevolent Fund, please do so. As people are hurting and as God sees fit, we distribute it to people in our church, in our fellowship who are hurting. If you know people who are hurting in our church, we want to be aware of those things. People who are just needing help. We don't, you know, people have given so that we can give. We don't, we're not to hold on to stuff. It's, it's to be given. And so you can give towards that and you can also uh, let us know of opportunities and situations as they come up. And we will pray and discern. Sometimes it's a no, by the way. You know, sorry about that. Sometimes it's, and it's not trying to hold it on, but, you know, we just, we're, we're growing as a family. But anyways, they return from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. And he's going to go with them for the rest of the journey. And it's interesting, they're going to have a split here. Paul and is not going to really like John Mark for a bit. <clears throat> you ever had someone on your team you didn't really like? Yeah. Paul and Barnabas, they end up splitting because John Mark's on their team and John Mark was young and he didn't follow through and all these types of things. Anybody like that in this room? John Mark, not a Paul, right here. And so what happens? They separate. And then you see Paul at the end of his life. And what does he do? In his letter at the end of his life, he says, hey, send, send John Mark. Have him, have him bring, he said, I just want that guy. Years later, years later, God had done a work. He had grown him up and probably gave Paul a little bit more grace. 
and we see how God works things in time. And I would encourage you, if there's broken relationships in our church, to pray about that and to seek it and not let time go by without restoring it. And chances are sometimes other people don't even know about it. And so let God lead you in all these things this week. Let's, uh, let's close uh, by praying. And I just want to give our church a minute to pray about the things we've just talked about. Uh, let's not pray about our dogs. Let's not pray about different things. Let's focus on these things we were talking about this morning as the Spirit leads, okay? Father, scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, never once have we ever walked alone. You are faithful. God, you are faithful. Be with us in the coming months and the years, Lord. Continue to teach us, encourage us, and equip us, and give us opportunities to show our faith in practical ways and supernatural ones, Lord. We love you, and we ask again that you would bless our week as we go out of here and hit the mission field that you've placed us in. In the name of Jesus, amen.